Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Here we go. I've just opened up my my preaching notes here and someone has left me a note saying, believe in yourself. (laughs) Please turn over for your other notes. (laughs) Uh, Whoever you are, I will find you. (laughs) Uh, Very good. Well, I couldn't really plan for how I would feel in this moment. And I think even being here, uh, now that I'm here, I'm still not quite sure. And so in this very moment, I need to rest on what I know. And I know that God is more faithful than you and I will ever know. Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. I know that Jesus cares about every detail of your life. David also writes, the, do- the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in the every detail of their lives. I know that the road that you thought uh, God was taking you on to get you where you thought he was going is probably not the path that he's going to take you down. I know that with the Lord, you can expect the unexpected. I know that hardship and suffering are both very difficult, but they make us stronger, more resilient, and more generous people if we learn from their lessons. I know that the God of history, the God revealed to us in Scripture, the God visible and tangible in the person of Jesus, is forever true to who he says he is, and his grace And his mercy is to you and for you in every moment and in every situation. I know that I am beyond blessed to take on this role surrounded by an incredible community, both a leadership community and a broad community of church-loving, Jesus-loving people. Words cannot simply do justice to the length of relationship and the depth of relationship that has been afforded me over the last 18 years of ministry. The grace that has been shown me through Brett and Jen over 18 years of stuff-ups. We're not going to mention the weepy van. That's, you've probably heard that story before. But the length of relationship with people like Muzz and Shaz Naylor, and Avril and Fee and Ruthie, and who else? Kim and Troy Dixon, Leon and Luba Munro, people who have seen me at my worst, people who have believed in me when I have not had the capacity to believe in myself. I know that I'm the luckiest man alive to be doing life alongside Elise as we tackle four humanoids together. I know that without her, my life simply would not work. And she carries a huge calling indeed, as big, if not bigger, than what would be pastoring a church to care for four kids and raise them in a loving, caring home and maybe five kids if you include me. 
Without her and her support and belief in me, I wouldn't be standing here. I also know that 18 years is a really long apprenticeship. <laughs> like any apprenticeship, learning the skill and craft of the trade from those who are further down the road is incredibly valuable. But of greater and of last, more lasting worth, the last 18 years has been spent in the Lord's workshop as he has repaired, refined and renewed my inner man my heart and character, and I know that I am still a work in progress. So having said all of that, I think I know how I feel. I feel humbled. I feel loved. I feel graced. I feel called, and I feel chosen in the Lord. And I want to thank each one of you who is here today, everyone who is watching online, mum, dad, the in-laws, for everyone who has come and who has gone over the years who have been part of my story leading up to this moment today where I get to step into a new way of serving the Lord and his church. I truly look forward to what God will do in these strange days, but nonetheless, days that are laid out one after the other for the glory of his name. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says this, As surely as the sun rises, he will appear he will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that will water the earth. Father, we thank you that you have come to us and that you are here right now. That there is rain that is falling on us from the heavenly places to water the garden that you are growing here. Father, we pray that we would rest on what we know of who you are, that you are a true God that you are the one God, that King Jesus, you are the one who came and found us. You are the one who has reached out and redeemed and saved and poured everything out that we may know you. And Father, we ask this morning that as we dive deep into your word, that we would see Jesus more clearly and that we would follow him more fully with every day of our lives. In his name, amen. So today I want to set the scene for where I believe where the Lord is taking us over the next four weeks, but also beyond as he sets up us as his church to love him and to love others with greater efficacy, with greater passion, with deepened hunger, and with huge and copious amounts of joy. And to do so, I want to preach this morning out of Ezekiel 47, but before we put it on the screen or you open uh, your phone or your Bible, um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are in over your head? A time where you have been thrown into the figurative deep end or the literal deep end and you have had to work it out as you go? A situation maybe where in the first instance you were dwelling in the land of the comfortable and the familiar and then in the very next instance, you find yourself in the land of risk and uncertainty. One of my highlights of uh, ministry here at Kingsway was a day when we were uh, jetty jumping down at Ganamata Bay for a kids and youth big day out. And everyone was leaping into the deep, back flipping, front flipping, 
twirling and hurtling through the air as they launched themselves flippantly across the evening sky at Gunnamatta and landing into the depths of the port hacking. All except for one, however. My friend Mia Burns Mickelson's. Where is Mia? Here she is. A quiet, young, reserved, at this point probably year four or year fiver, tentatively standing back against the rail, holding on for dear life. Me being completely unsatisfied with such unfounded hesitancy and fear, I made it my mission to get Mia to make the jump. Um, it was probably low tide, so hence the scariness. It's a three or four metre jump from the platform down into the water. So I put on my most convincing, reassuring, nerve-disabling voice. Mia. I was down in the water at this point, floating around, doing my treading water. Mia, I reckon you've got this, sweetie. Today's your day. Just listen to my voice and trust me. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but I want you to take one step closer than just holding on to that rail. So Mia, to my surprise, let go of the rail and she inched her way closer and closer to the edge. Progress. I thought, here we go, we've got her. All right, Mia, on the count of three, if that will help you, I want you on the count of three, as I say three, just to push gently off and step, and I will be here in the water to catch you. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right, one more time, Mia. I'll count to three again. Let's do this. You know the drill. You've done it with your own kids. One, two, and like there's Velcro stuck under their feet, they just can't seem to go. So after a few attempts, it looked like Operation Get Mia to Jump was a failure. But I had two more tricks up my sleeve. Mia, I want you to sit down this time with your legs over the edge. That gets their eyes from up here down here, so it seems like a less of a drop. I said, Mia, can you do that? And again, to my surprise, Mia sat down on the edge and placed her hands on the edge of the concrete. And I'm thinking, yes, this is it. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. All right, Mia, I'm here in the water. Listen to my voice. I'm going to count to three on three. Just push with your hands and I will be here in the water to catch you. One, two, three, nothing. However, I had one more trick up my sleeve. Mia, I got a little bit more stern. If you do it, I'll buy you a McFlurry. <laughs> It's amazing what ice cream will do for a woman in a highly charged emotional moment. <laughs> okay, are we ready to go again? McFlurry on the line. One, two, three. I want to speak today, in fact, all of this month on the topic called Into the Deep. And I believe that the Lord has us on the verge of where comfortability 
is confronted with a call to courage and where familiarity must give way to faith. I believe that there is deep waters that the Lord is willing and wooing you and I to join him in, waters so profoundly deep, waters teeming with the life of his kingdom, waters so full of beauty and abundance and healing and salvation, and maybe even there's a McFlurry in it if we dare jump in. And so let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. It will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. A little bit of context around this. Um, Ezekiel is an incredibly profound book full of visions that Ezekiel receives from the Lord as um, Israel is in what is known as the Babylonian captivity. This is about 600 years prior to Jesus. uh, And God's people, the Israelites, had rebelled against God. They'd hardened their hearts. They'd started worshipping other idols. They'd given up on all of the hope and all of the promises that he had given to them and their nation And God was pretty ticked. He was over it and he was taking action. So he sent a foreign land, Babylon, to conquer Jerusalem. They ended up destroying the temple and took the best and the brightest. And they took them back to Babylon where Israel was held in captivity. They were dispersed among neighboring nations where they intermingled and intermarried among the Babylonians. This was a time where all they knew was gone and all that had been promised them had seemed lost. There seemed like there was no hope for God's people moving forward. This, into this context of hopelessness, God sends Ezekiel as a messenger of hope. And so I asked myself the question, how does this context that we're reading um, Ezekiel 47 through today apply to us, And whilst we aren't being overrun by a foreign land, nor is our city being besieged because of the wrath of God, what I do believe we share in common in this story is a sense of displacement and a sense of dislodgement, a sense that what was is no longer. That as the church, we are in what is now a secularist society and culture, we as the church and Jesus followers find ourselves in exile. When the Christian voice is as unwelcome as ever in the public and political domain. Our presence at the table of debate is is met with negativity and scepticism. The biblical precedent and historic church confession of marriage, ethics, sexuality, ecology and identity are being eroded under the banner of progressivism. Our works as the church of justice and generosity are often questioned under the judgment of false intentions. The elevation of the individual and the narrative of self-sufficiency and power and the ownership, uh, ownership of truth places us, the church, on the back foot. We are tainted with the brush of intolerance, unacceptance and judgmentalism. Our message is weakened by unwise, ill-timed and in many cases just crap theology packaged up in Christian celebrity tweets. I mean, the gospel of self-sacrifice does not play nice with the postmodernist narrative of self-enhancement. The message, die to yourself in the age of influencers and insta-celebrities, is as palatable as a prawn milkshake. The church is in exile. We are not in the places we once occupied. But deeper than that, there is a reality 
that we all face of personal exile, that our own hearts becoming displaced and lost, having fallen victim to the promises of the world, yet left feeling empty. I mean, the promise of social media connecting us more, but yet we find ourselves lonelier than ever. The promise of materialism bringing joy and fulfillment, yet we find ourselves more anxious and depressed. The promise of technology to lighten our load and make us more efficient people, yet we're more stressed and more busy than ever before. The promise of medication, alcohol, and other substances to mellow us out, but yet we're more addicted than ever. The promise of the quick buck, the next big thing, the hack to a happier, healthy, wealthier life, yet we're less satisfied, more empty, less happy, more tired. Our hearts are not where they're meant to be. They are in exile. We do not inhabit the places and spaces we once did. We are not welcome in the places we once were. We're in exile. I mean, a different kind of exile, but in exile nonetheless. So what do we do with this? Uh, I wonder, how do we navigate hopelessness? Because my guess is that you've experienced that. How do we move forward when it all seems lost, when what was has been taken away? And Ezekiel was to his people a messenger hope, messenger of hope, and that is my goal today and my pastoral calling to you as I lead us into the future that God has for you is to proclaim the hope found in Christ and in Christ alone. So no matter how dire things may seem for you or the church, I want to announce to you again this morning that God is at work to restore, to renew, to heal, and to bring new life to all that is crying out for it. He is, in fact, the way maker, and he is the promise keeper, and we can put our entire trust in him. So Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And now bear in mind that um, the temple had been destroyed. And this then was a vision of hope for God's people, a vision of the future. This vision that we are reading through now is a way of God speaking in the midst of hopelessness. And so my prayer is that as we go through this vision that Ezekiel had into our place of hopelessness, into our sense of exile, whether it's cultural and church-based or whether it's within our own hearts, that we indeed would see the vision that God has for us. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Then he brought me out by uh, the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, about 800 meters. And then he led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured out another thousand and he led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and he led me through the water and this time it was waist deep. Again, he measured another thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, 
Have you seen this? So what we have here is a picture of the temple that had been destroyed that is now as being shared with the, the pe- God's people is stirring in them an incredible sense that God is actually still with us. And the vision goes as we have read. There is bubbling up from under the altar of the temple, just a trickle. And as it leaves, it grows. Just downstream, it is ankle deep, like the kind of depth that when you walk along the beach and the water just rolls up and laps against your ankles, it's that deep. And then it goes into that knee-deep bit where it becomes a little bit more difficult to walk. And then it grows to being waist-deep. And then um, if you've ever been to a body of water that is... um, just enormous, or if you've ever been scuba diving or snorkeling or surfing or out on a boat into the depths of the ocean, you would know the kind of overwhelming depth of the water that Ezekiel is describing. And as he stands in that deep water or near that deep water, the Lord says to Ezekiel, son of man, do you see this? I mean, strange question, right? Of course he saw this. He had front row seats to the whole show. When you face hopelessness or worry about the future, where do you look? I mean, my tendency is to focus on me and what I need. Uh, When I face hopelessness, I look at what I don't have. I look at the things that I can control. I become consumed by my small little world. This question that the Lord was doing was bringing a kingdom perspective to the human experience. It's a reminder that when we are dealing with hopelessness, God is already there and we need to pay attention to what God is doing. He is already working and he is already making a way. You know, there are so many negative things, whether in culture, in church or in our own lives that can consume our attention. And while we ought not to avoid that pain, but lean into it and learn from it, we need to remember that there is a bigger story at work that God is doing. Are you seeing what he's up to? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. This is verse 7. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and the other. And it is profound that the Lord would give you, Daz, a vision of a garden this morning as you come to pray for us here, because let's continue to read. And he said to me, this water, this deep water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, and it enters the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. If you've got your Bible and you're an underliner, I want you to underline, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. In the Dead Sea, it is 35% salt. You've, You've probably seen the pictures. You can't sink in the Dead Sea. You can lie back on the water and the density of the salt will buoy you. Nothing lives there. It is an environment barren of nutrients, of phytoplankton and microorganisms that promote and sustain life. It is literally dead. It's dead because there's no life. 
but in the vision, when the fresh water reaches it, there's life. Things change. Life begins to emerge. The percentages shift. The created order bends to the will of the fresh water. And I found myself questioning and asked the team this week as I was processing this, how, how does that work? Because in my experience, when fresh water flows from the mountains down into our estuaries and it meets the ocean, it is not the ocean that becomes fresh. It is the river water, the fresh water that becomes salty. There seems like there's something else at work here that I was asking the question, how is this so? How is it that the fresh water makes the salty thing fresh rather than the salty thing making the fresh thing fresh? I learnt this, that in Hebrew, the word fresh comes from the Hebrew word rafah. And rafah means to heal and to restore life. See, as the water began as a trickle and it flowed and it growed in depth, when it came into contact with the Dead Sea, the dead things are healed and become living things. Things that were dead and lifeless, when this particular water touches it, they come to life, it is healed. What was dead is now alive. Where the river flows, everything will be fresh. In our exile, in these days that can seem without hope, there is healing water issuing from the presence of God to bring you life. As this water flows, it carves a path through the contours of our hearts to renew them. It finds its way to the valleys of our pain and it heals it. It meanders gently through the open plains of our past and it redeems it. It flows powerfully like a waterfall over the cliffs of our gifts and it releases them. This is the deep water that the Lord is calling us into, waters of Rafah, waters of healing for our lives and the lives of those around us. He is calling us into the deep, into the fresh healing water of his presence that we may flow into dead spaces and see them come alive again. Where the river flows, everything will become fresh. I want to be in that water. And if you are someone who interprets the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, which I would encourage that you do, this vision makes a lot of sense as we understand that the water that flows and brings life is Jesus and his message. In John 4, as Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman dying on the inside, a, woman's, a woman whose heart was like a dead sea, bereft, of life and vitality. To her, Jesus says, I am the living water. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. Again, John 7, John says this, John 7, 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival Jesus, I love this. He stood and shouted to the crowds. Have that picture in mind. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. 
See, the water started as a trickle in the temple and not from the pulpit of a celebrity pastor or the pages of the latest Christian bestseller. Healing, my friends, begins in heaven, not in our havens of escape. The healing water began in the heart of Jesus and not the promise of politics, progression, or pop culture. The world seeks healing and restoration in all kinds of places, believing that this person or this thing will bring Rafah will bring healing. But Rafah only comes from God. It doesn't come from substances or anything else. True healing comes from God. It is only found in Jesus. And there cannot possibly be any better news for us to proclaim firstly to ourselves, but to our world. Where the river flows, everything will be fresh. Where Jesus is, there is life. So let us be reminded that where we go, we are the flow of God for the healing of lives and families and communities and cities. And by God, give us vision big enough for a world healed in Jesus' name. And so the vision continues. Ezekiel 47.10, fishermen will stand by the sea. Can someone say, let's go fishing? You get me, you get fishing. That's, I make no apologies. <laughs> From Engedi to Eniglaim, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. I mean, just for a moment, remember that this was a sea that was dead. But yet we have this glorious picture of people shoulder to shoulder working together for and with one another laboring for the Lord in waters that are full and teeming with life. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left for salt. And on the banks, on the, both sides of the river, there will grow an incredible garden, thanks, Daz, and all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for healing. See, what the Lord is showing Ezekiel, and what the Lord is saying to the church today, is that God's ultimate desire is to nourish and to heal. And if I've learned one thing in my years of ministry and study and all of life, it's that the kingdom of God comes in us before it comes through us. So if you were to ask me what's my vision for the church as perhaps today might be appropriate, I'd have to begin with the vision that I have for your life and for my life. Because it is healed people who go on to heal the world. And so from this vision given to a people dislodged and displaced, I believe that God is giving us hope-filled vision in our own sense of dislodgement and displacement. that our lives would be immersed in the deep waters of God's healing for the renewal of all things. Let me read that again. If I've got a vision for your life and for my life, that our lives would be immersed in the deep waters of God's healing for the renewal of all things. 
As I read this vision, this is what I see for your life. A life sustained by the life of Jesus and the Word of God. A life walked hand in hand with the Lord. A life transfixed on the work and reality that God is in fact at work even before we get there. A life marked by new perspectives that allow for the wonder of God's kingdom to captivate your imagination. A life lived shoulder to shoulder in community, working for and alongside others in the mission of Jesus to heal the world. A life that flows and expends its energy in places in need of refreshment and renewal. A life defined by dead things being made alive again. I see for your life and for mine a life that does not stagnate, a life that is fruitful, a life that is for the sustenance and for the healing of others, a life steeped in the deep healing waters of God, a life called into the deep. I want to invite the band to come back up. Now, it was back in October or November last year, and the Lord prompted me to share from Ezekiel 47. If you're here or you're watching online, you might remember it. And I felt the Lord prompting me to um, say that what we had experienced in the past as a high watermark, as feeling like we were experiencing the richness and fullness of God in the future, that to us will feel like ankle deep, that He's leading us into new and deeper water more than we've ever experienced before. And we went and had lunch with Foz and Shell that day, actually, and Shell called me out on it. And she said to me, Dave, um, so at church today, what did you mean by that, the, by going deep, that the water we're going to experience in the future is going to seem like it is the ank- what we had before was ankle deep? And Shell didn't realize, but at that time, was I was in the process of discernment of, you know, do I take on this uh, role of, senior leader here at Caring Bar and um, in that moment I was just left to say I'm not sure but I think we'll work it out as we go knowing that there was something I think quite prophetic in that moment that has been stirring and stewing in me over the last couple of months and I feel like there are five ways or places that God is calling us into the deep this year to give you a little bit of tangibility around this, that it's not just, cool, God's calling us into the deep. Let's get excited. Woo! Let's go grab a coffee and get out of here. But I believe that God is calling us a life called deeper into the Word. (laughs) Not rocket science, really. (laughs) Unsurprising for a church. However, I think, church, that there is something fresh and something new for us this year as we go deeper into God's Word together. A life called deeper into discipleship. Now, what I love about the vision that Ezekiel has is that every single step of the way, Ezekiel was in the hand of the Lord. Together, they walked. Together, they experienced the ankle deep. Together, they experienced the new things, the first things for the very first time. Together, Ezekiel and the Lord went knee deep. Together, Ezekiel and the Lord went waist deep. Together, Ezekiel and the Lord went in over their heads. That discipleship would be that we walk hand in hand with the Lord and each other. A life called deeper into wonder. Now, I can only imagine Ezekiel in this vision just being completely overwhelmed 
by the garden and the trees along the side of this river as it meandered down toward the Dead Sea. Whoa, look at those mangoes. Look how big they are. Whoa, look at the colours of the fish in the water. Can't believe it. Whoa, check out the birds. I've never seen that many before. He would have just been in this. Whoa, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Now, I believe that the Lord is taking us to that place, a place where our imaginations are so captivated by His beauty and His wonder that our only response is to lay our lives down at His feet and worship Him. A life called deeper into community and a life called deeper into God's mission. So over the next three weeks, I'll be speaking to each one of these in one way or another. And I hope and pray that the Lord will continue to impart hope to us as we go. And so friends, like I was with Mia that day, the Lord is in the water calling you and I in. He says to us, I reckon you've got this. Today's your day. He's in the water saying, just listen to my voice, trust me. He's saying you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but just take one more step closer. He's saying I'll count to three. And on three, you step out with a little push and I'll be here to catch you. Are you ready? So my question is, will you join him in the deep water? Will you let go of what's comfortable? Will you step forward with courage? Will you jump? One, two, three. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.